0: About the only piece I kind of miss is uh, it's almost like we need to gear up some house speaker or house mics so we can hear the whole thing. But it's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to worship together. Amen. Amen. Well, we welcome you uh, if it's your first time or the first couple times here. Um, we're uh, glad that you're here. Glad that you're here and, and joining with us. We're glad that you're in the house of the Lord. We don't believe it's by any accident. In fact, uh, we made a a bit of a connection with some folks that were just visiting last, uh, last week. They don't live in the area necessarily, but. Uh... Oh, kids downstairs? There is kids, uh, children's church downstairs. I'm getting, the, uh, I'm getting the third base coach sign for my wife, you know. All that kind of stuff. Pulling on my ear, pulling on the ear. Does that mean, um, does that mean bunt? We're doing the sacrifice, all right. We're baseball nuts, so if, everybody, if nobody got that, that's just something between Tammy and I, but uh, anyway, um, just made this great connection with some friends that were here just visiting last week. Not friends of ours, but uh, Tammy and the and the ladies since have been texting some and just how encouraged they were. Um, it's a uh, and they're how excited they are actually to be back in fellowship. Like their church still hasn't fired up yet for uh, in the building services, and uh, so they're excited. That was really encouraging um, and really encouraging for us, for sure, and we've been studying through this series on um, how God makes us stronger in our faith, and, and kind of as I mentioned this last week, this, um, uh, and I'll say it this week, it's almost kind of like a little mini-series inside of a series where I want to pause on a particular uh, idea inside of how God makes us stronger, and that idea that we're pausing on is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's good news of Jesus really boiled down at its uh, very roots and how that gospel makes us stronger. Uh, because of two things, and I think a lot of time in Christianity we kind of focus, when we hear the word gospel, you focus on the first point that I have to make, and, and we kind of forget maybe a little bit, or, we, or maybe we haven't been taught or trained up that the second part's just as important. And this is the idea of the gospel. It's, that it's our sole message for an unbelieving world. Like that's how you came to know Christ. If somebody shared what? They share the gospel with you, right? They share the good news of Jesus. Maybe, maybe if uh, in a, maybe a perfect world, a little bit of utopia, maybe that just happened in your home that you're like a third, fourth, fifth generation believer and so that's a very natural and, and um, expected part of your uh, heritage and your family is, is to incorporate faith into that and, and who Christ is. So maybe it happened when, when you were a little kid just on your couch or at the dining room table. Uh, Maybe you have the exact opposite experience, maybe your experience is you came to faith in Christ later in life, uh, after a lot of heartache, a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain, a lot of doing things wrong, a lot of uh, life's train wreck, so to speak, and you found yourself at the end of the trail, uh, and you're like, man, I can't do this, and so somebody else has to run my life, Uh, somebody else has to take charge, and, and you start to seek and search, and and somebody what they shared the gospel with you and uh, and you put your faith and your trust in christ and 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 you haven't been the same since uh, maybe you are somewhere like me in the middle of all of that, uh, you know a nineteen year old knucklehead uh, who uh, who needed to slow down a little bit and get his priorities right and come back to the faith that he was raised in uh, and and embrace it. Uh, not just for the, not just for the sake of, of of fixing the problem at the time, but of a whole life, a wholesale change of life. Uh, that's kind of my story. But everything hinges on the gospel. Everything hinges on the good news of Jesus. And so, when the world asks us about uh, a question similar to "What's so good about Jesus?" In the times that we live in, a lot of people are, are saying, what is going on? Why, why, is, why is everything just so chaotic? Why is everything in, in such turmoil? And, and, and we try to put out some, some ideas and, and some encouragements about who God is and about who Jesus is. And, and hypothetically, maybe somebody turns to you and says, so what's so good about Jesus anyway? Like, how come he hasn't fixed the issues already or whatever? What's so good about him? What makes what, makes what you believe so special? Our answer should be everything. You wonder what the answer is to the question, what's so good about Jesus? Everything is so good about Jesus. Every single thing about Jesus is so good. There's an old saying out there that we could have everything this world has to offer and not have Jesus and we wouldn't have nothing. We wouldn't have anything in reality. Or the backside of that is that we could have nothing of the world, we can have nothing that the world has to offer. And in Christ, we have everything we need. I'm sure there's, there's several in this room that have traveled around the world. Uh, I've done a little bit of traveling, not near, near as much as I like. But I think consistently what I hear people say and what I've heard my kids say, and, and uh, especially Morgan spending time in some really difficult parts of, on, on the globe, in Africa and Nepal and whatnot, it's interesting that the believers that have absolutely the least seem to be the most content. They really do. They have everything they need, and what they need is Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to see how the Apostle Paul encourages the Corinthians church by combining these two concepts. He, he, he blends them together so they can't be taken apart, and that's this concept, the concept of light and the gospel. In fact, he, he, he uses the phrase, the light of the gospel, Light is an essential part of our existence. Without it, we wouldn't exist. Uh, we would not exist. Not saying that nothing can exist without light. We know that in the deepest part of the oceans, there's critters that uh, exist without light. Uh, but we would not exist. You don't have to turn there, but a quick run through. Uh, after the heavens and the earth. Um, it's the first thing, light is the very first thing that God created, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, uh, day 1, God creates light. Then on the fourth day, God made the sun, the moon, the stars for light for us and for these reasons, for seasons, for days, for nights, and for signs. You know what's interesting about the the, uh, the creation account that nobody I've never heard anybody kind of pause on this. That was day one, he creates light. Day four, he he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. What does he do on day three? Anybody know off the top of their head? Don't look. Don't turn to Genesis. Anybody know? Oh, he he creates uh, trees and plants. Well, how do the trees and plants, um, how did they survive in day three when they need the sun and the moon, and the stars to survive. Ever thought about that? Only God can pull something like that off. Only God can sustain something that's created to to need something else. Only He could sustain them. He is light. He was light for His own creation. I thought, well, let's see. We'll make a big ball, we'll make a small ball, half the day is bright, half the day is not. Tilt that earth on a certain axis, it's all going to work out perfect, right? Now, God manipulated of his own choosing a couple of occasions in the Bible. It tells us that God manipulates our natural light, our sunlight. Joshua chapter 10 is one of those occasions. I'll just read it for you. If you want to make a note, you're welcome to. You want to look it up later and make sure that I'm not telling you a fib. Uh, Joshua 10 verses 12 through 15 says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered, him, delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said uh, in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon, and the moon in the valley of Aja- Ajalon. So the su- sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Yasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there had been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. God made the, God made the, now don't ask me how he did it. Did he stop the earth from, did he stop the earth from spinning? Like if he stopped the earth from spinning and we're over here and we're in this, we're fighting, we're these Israelis and we're we're fighting away and then the earth quit spinning, wouldn't you kind of... Wouldn't you do that if the earth quit spinning? How did he do it? We don't know how he did it, but we know what the Bible says is true, that it did happen. And that it wasn't just one person telling a story. Like the whole nation experienced God pausing time, as it were, or changing time. Of course, he's outside of time and space, so for him, created the universe, it probably was not a monumental task. But he manipulates, if you will, he changes the natural course of light, the natural creation that that uh, he brought forth from his own word. Another place, two places, both in Matthew and Mark, they both recar- record the opposite event. Uh, now, some people go to long links to try to think that there was a, a solar eclipse at the death of Jesus, uh, what the Bible says is that the sky went black. The Bible just says the sky went black, said there was earthquakes said the the uh, veil in the temple in Jerusalem was torn from top to bottom now that that veil is not uh, not this flimsy little you know doily uh, that 's Kind of easy to rip. This thing's like six inches thick, uh, and and super huge. But generally speaking, light, light is an essential part of our existence. And really, with uh, other than these couple of occasions that we see in the uh, in the Bible, uh, we're used to that steadiness. We're used to that dependability. We're used to the seasons. we're used to to seeing. in fact, anybody go outside last night or the night before and see the comet? It's pretty awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. We stood out at the end of the driveway and uh, sitting there with the binoculars. You know, having a good time. It's pretty cool to see those types of things. They, they don't happen that often. Uh, it's still around. You still have several more days or maybe at least a, a week before they figure it'll burn out, or it'll be hard to see without a big telescope. But here, light is used as a metaphor for our spiritual life as well. It's essential to our existence on earth. It's it's essential to our spiritual life as well. So as we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's all go there together. Let's all go there together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to just insert a couple of things just to put the context of chapter 4 of of 2 Corinthians together by what what Paul's saying. And that context is in the context of ministry. Through this through this passage through 2 Corinthians, the idea of ministry, ministered, being ministered to, it, it he it's a repeated theme through these chapters. Feel free to underline them as you see them. But uh, Paul makes some comparisons here in chapter 3. So I just want to hit on just Three of them, and then we'll move into chapter four. The first one, the first comparison of ministry that Paul's talking about is he compares tablets of stone to tablets of the heart. Verse three says, Clearly, you're an epistle of Christ, talking to the Corinthian church. You're an epistle of Christ ministered by us. So, hey, he's in ministry, he's ministering to them, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on the tablets of stone, reference to the Old Testament. But on the tablets of flesh, that is the heart. Like God is, He's saying, "Listen, we're in ministry here. I've been ministering to you guys. I've been encouraging you guys. But this isn't just, this isn't just, you know, chiseled away, tink, 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 and a letter that you should see or or post. It isn't, isn't just about the, the statues. Uh, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Our ministry is about the heart. And God's writing changes. He's he's changing hearts." And writing on them as it were, so it's tablets of flesh that is of the heart. The second one's a comparison of the letter versus the spirit. See that in verse uh, six. It's interesting; these these three ideas come in every third verse. So, uh, verse six says, "Who will also made us Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit." For the letter kills, but the spirit give, gives life. Paul's making this—he's making this comparison. He's—he's—he's he's, he's getting in their minds this idea of what we're switching. Our ministry is not about—not about the old covenant. It's about the new covenant. Where the old covenant exposes sin, it reveals sin. It tells us what sin is. But the new covenant, the spirit, is a covenant of the spirit. Covenant of the spirit. And that spirit gives life, he says, in verse 6. The third one, third comparison that Paul makes is ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. He's essentially making the same point with all three comparisons. Verse 9 says, for if the ministry of the condemnation had glory, which it did, uh, if you read the whole context, the whole passage there in chapter 3, he's saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with the old old, uh, covenant. It was absolutely perfect. So, if the old, if the ministry of the condemnation, the Old Testament had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. What he's saying is, if that was good and if that was perfect, this is that much more perfect. Because it's not just a, a get a rule book, get a playbook for life, as it were, get the the dos and don'ts, but and, and keep them in front of you. Or, or up on a monument he's saying God is writing those things on our hearts he does that by living in us through his Holy Spirit I've read through these next several verses uh, quite a few times I've pondered on putting them on social media I'm not a big poster on social media but I thought about it. And I thought, eh, it's it's kind of a hassle but we're gonna read them today uh, jump into chapter three at verse twelve, and we'll set up the rest of the context for verse for chapter four. Reading through this, with these three comparisons in mind, he says, "Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech." Paul wasn't shy about what he was saying. He wasn't shy about where he went. He wasn't shy about what the message was. He was fully convinced. He was fully passionate. He was ready to go at a moment's notice. So he says, We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, another comparison, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. There is no more petition There is no more boundary between mankind and God. That's all taken away in Christ. The Word says we can come with boldness before the throne of God. Verse 15 says, But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies not just on their face. He says it lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when, and here's a key part of the whole passage. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away away. That's what happens when we become believers in reality. That's what happens when we first trust, and and as we continue to trust Christ, because again, the gospel is not just about our conversion, it's about our whole life in Christ. So when we get to that point, that veil drops, that veil drops, we can see, we can experience God face to face. Now the Lord is the Spirit, verse 17 says. From where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Beholding as in a mirror when I say, and I say from time to time here, that you should be able to look back over the trail of your life and see change if you're a Christ follower, that you, that you see and, and, and you can experience the fact that, that you're not that person that you used to be. You're not that lady. You're not that, that girl. You're not that guy. You're not that young man. I'm not that young guy. You ought to be able to see that progression of change as, as God works in your life. Some of you have, have incredible testimonies of change. Uh, I, I know a lot of them. I know, I'll pick on you because you're standing here and you're wearing a red shirt so you're easy to see. If we would roll back, if we had the ability to roll back the clock, how many, give me, give me a, a timetable. 15 years. Okay. 10 years you would not recognize this guy in the red shirt and that's not because i knew him then that's because i've spent time with him and heard his testimony and 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 he'll tell you with his own lips he is not the same dude by a long shot by a long shot why because he muscled up the energy and he 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 read all the self-help books and 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 you know and he put all these things out in front of him as goals on how to improve his life and he kept all of his New Year's, you know, Eve resolutions. No. No, that's not it. He's different because of what God's done in his life. And that's having an effect on all of us to some degree and that row specifically. That's what we're talking about here. And we should be able to see that. We're being transformed Into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's job in our life. That's the Holy Spirit's job in our life. What does the Bible say the Holy Spirit's uh, interaction points with us? What? To convict us of sin, righteousness. So first one, sin. To convict us of sin. Say, don't go there. Don't open that website. Don't, probably shouldn't shop there probably shouldn't spend that money if you don't have it. I mean, all these types of things that are that are points of conviction that the Holy Spirit is that, that leads us into sin, the temptation to lead us into sin in some capacity, in some format in our lives. The Holy Spirit says, now nah, let's not go there. No, rather, convicts of the second one is righteousness. Let's go here. So we don't go into this area of life. But we're gonna stay in this area because this area is healthy. This area of life, this convicting of of Convicting us of righteousness, I get all my O's, they're all knotted up like a rope. Convicting us of righteousness is being in that right zone, right? In that right zone of life with the Lord, where it's fertile ground, where we're going to grow the best, where we're going to grow in the right way. As I've said in the weeks past, where we're going to put down deep roots, and we're also going to put on branches, right? And eventually fruit. So sin, righteousness, the last one, oftentimes it's sad in a way that it is a pretty speculative judgment to come, but it's pretty straightforward and it should sober us in our thinking. It should sober us with with all of who God is, uh, that there will be a day. There will be a day of being accountable as a believer and as a non-believer. Two different judgments, but still in accountability. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Chapter 4. I'm way behind in my notes. I think uh, as we turn to chapter 4, just a couple of thoughts. Closing chapter 3, that, um, you know, this idea that um, hearts are veiled, vision is blurry... Uh, that the the unbelieving world does not have the liberty in Christ that that we do. They don't have that liberty. That's all should be part of our message with them. And they've not experienced the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Both then and now, in the days that Paul wrote this and today as well, there's a difficulty for people to get their eyes onto the Lord. If you think about our society, if you think about our culture, you would think that something as as, uh, big as what we're going through, regardless of what you think about it, uh, as big as something on the national or global scale, that it would bend people towards Christ. I think it's fair to say that um, we don't really see that happening. Maybe we just don't see it happening because we don't see it locally. I think there probably is areas of the world that it does happen, uh, for sure. It's, it's interesting, it's, it's always interesting to think that where there's the most growth in Christ is actually areas of the world where there's the most persecution. And that persecution does something in the heart and the life of a believer, in inserts such dependency upon Jesus uh, that you can't help but grow. I'm not sure, but regardless... Uh, it's difficult to keep, for people to get their eyes on Christ, it seems like today. And um, I want to insert this. That's discouraging. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That has an aspect of being really discouraging. And Paul transitions in chapter 4 with that same idea. Uh, he doesn't say the word discouraging. But twice in chapter 4, he uses a phrase that is addressing Discouragement specifically in his ministry and and in the Corinthian church. So let's flip to chapter four, real quick. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to go through the whole thing and then we'll come back and touch on a few points. I just wanted to set that stage about discouragement. And as you turn there, I also want to say that we have that same tendency. We have that same tendency to get discouraged when we focus on anything other than the gospel is our main objective. And Paul knows these difficult things that come with ministry. His whole Christian life could be seen as one big hardship. Uh, things were going really well for Paul prior to his conversion <laughs> from a human perspective. He had it all. He had uh, money. He had uh, notoriety. Uh, he had wisdom, knowledge. Um, he was running up quickly up the ranks in Judaism uh, to the point where he was kind of like ends up being the high priest, special agent to trample out this heresy uh, cult that was calling, you know, that was calling on the name of Jesus. He had it all in in regards to that. He was a Roman citizen. All these things that we've studied in the past, Paul had it all. Yet after his conversion, most of his life from a human perspective was nothing but heartache and hardship. Yet he tells us twice. In this passage, specifically, to what? To not lose heart. Don't be discouraged, he says. And Paul pivots with the metaphor of an essential aspect of survival light. To encourage us to stay on track, to stay on message, and to stay on the gospel. All right, verse one. Let me take a drink. Got to move quick. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter, one, or verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, again, staying on point, as we have received mercy, as we've received the things that we don't deserve, uh, his encouragement is, is, hey, don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glory of the gospel, here's our key phrase, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God... "...who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." Verse 7, "...but now we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed." always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written I believe and therefore I spoke we also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up also raise us up excuse me with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God take a breath A few more verses. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There he wraps back around to that same theme. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, those things are eternal. They're eternal. They're eternal. Let's step back through a little bit. Get just a little application out of this chapter. Five aspects of gospel light. Five aspects of gospel light. Now, there's kind of some comparisons here in the idea of what light means, to the, what the natural light and what spiritual light is doing. The first point that I want to say is, is that gospel light exposes darkness. Gospel light exposes the darkness. Verse 2, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Gospel light, living in the light of the gospel means that those things that are in dark, those things that are hidden, those things that the enemy wants to tie us down and say, that's shameful, keep it in the closet, the gospel light, Jesus is simply saying, I've forgiven you for those things. I've forgiven you for those things. Or perhaps it's a word of confession, that you need to acknowledge his forgiveness of those things, and, and that I do. But the enemy's whole goal and game plan, his overarching idea, is to keep things in the dark, but light brings exposure. And Paul says these hidden things. A couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, King Asa, and how he, through a prophetic word given to him, he revitalized the whole nation of Judah, By getting rid of all of these hidden things and all these hidden idols. The things that are hidden in our lives, those are the things that God wants to expose. And trust me when I say it's painful. It's painful at times. But it's so freeing to know that those things can be in our past. Those things can be downstream from who we are in Christ today question I have is, have we renounced those hidden things? Have we renounced those hidden things? Gospel light exposes the darkness. Will we allow God to shine light into those parts of our lives? And have we renounced the hidden things? The second thing that gospel light does is it manifests the truth. It's not just all about, hey, here's all your issues, here's all the bad parts of your life, here's all the things that I want to clean up, and then it's just a walk away. That's not it. It's a manifestation of the truth. Those things, rather than believing those lies, rather than entertaining those attitudes, rather than than embracing that activity in life that's sinful, that doesn't honor God, that's hidden, those things that the enemy wants to make big and, and make so important. Rather, the replacement, the replacement is the manifestation of the truth in our lives. Next few verses. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That we can walk one with one another through life, knowing that this is what the truth is that this is what the truth is, right? That's what Paul's saying, that we can appeal to, to, to one another's conscience, that, that part of us that, that has a moral center, right? Or to the non-believers around us, who that part is, is, is twisted and jaded yet because they've not trusted in Christ. They've not embraced the pathway and the, and the promises that the Bible has when it says that it will transform the mind. Give you the mind of Christ, so we can appeal to their conscience. But that's done through the manifestation of truth in our lives. Like fertilizer, <clears throat> excuse me, like fertilizer to a plant is truth to a Christian. Like fertilizer to a plant is truth to a Christian. Uh, we've embarked on this game plan. <clears throat> it's actually kind of been going on for several years, but um, out on the farm. Uh, uh, Nathan Carlson and his brother Bill who buy all of our feed uh, they love to feed corn to the milk cows corn silage it's hard to grow a lot of people don't grow it in this area and it takes a lot of water uh, and it takes a lot of cow poop that's the reality of where it's at so we've embarked on this last, this started last fall we uh, bought and, and had built another pivot put it on a piece of ground that we irrigate and uh, this spring as we're gearing up to plant this corn that's so desperately needed at the dairy, the way that that's accomplished is we covered each acre of a 30-acre field with 10,000 gallons of cow manure. So if you came out and drove past our place (laughs) earlier in May and in June, you're like, what are they doing? What's that horrible smell? Ah!" Right? Here's the thing. With this heat that we've had this last week, them corn plants have gone from being this tall in about a week's time, they're like, some of them are that tall. They've almost doubled in height in just a few days. That's what truth does in the life of a believer. It's hard to conceive. It's hard to understand that. But when we embrace the manifestation of biblical truth into our lives, we will grow at an exponential rate. We will. And we can do that with one another. Are we embracing the truth for all to see and experience? Are we embracing the truth for all to see and to experience? The gospel light is unseen by unbelievers. They they don't get it. The Bible talks in other places about uh, the Christ followers being winsome. As being winsome, and it's like, why is that guy different? Why, why is she, she doesn't ever seem like she gets frustrated with stuff. How come is that? Why, why is that so? They, they, they don't see it, they don't get it. Our, our spot is just to, to grow in such a way that we become winsome to the unbelievers. So they can't not ask questions about why we're different. Right? Because they're gonna, not going to naturally see it. Verse 4 says that. Let's look at it together. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Our job is not to complain about the unbelieving world. That's a trap of the enemy that I know I fall into often. Our job is not to complain about the unbelieving world. Rather, we continue to show both grace and truth. We do that through demonstrating love to one another and to them. It's unseen. Number four, gospel light shines in our hearts to reveal God through Jesus. We share because Jesus put his spotlight in our hearts, washing our sins clean. We can share. We can carry on because God has changed us. And he's taken away the darkness of the hidden aspect and has shined light into you and I if you're Christ's follower. That's awesome. It's exciting. Verses 7 through 15 almost seem out of place in a lot of ways in chapter 4, but not really. Because Paul's making a point here uh, early on that can't be overlooked. Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. All through history, all through history, mankind has been trying to somehow accomplish what only God can accomplish. If you think back through, and, and uh, the Tower of Babel is a great example, they say, hey, we just, we're smart enough, we can just build it right up to God and be with God. You know, they've always tried to accomplish what only God can do. Right? Here's the key. Verse 7, but we have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels. That's the you and I, right? My question is, is what do those vessels look like? What are they in reality? And here's what they are, is that God uses sinful, fallen, and broken people and rebuilds their lives. He's rebuilt our lives. And we have testimony of that. We have testimony of the things that God has overcome in our lives. So he uses broken people that put their faith and trust and hope in him to display his power. The brokenness of the vessel, the earthen vessel, is the fact that you shove a light up inside of it. And and there's going to be some cracks. You may say, are you calling me a crackpot? And I will say, yes, indeed and I will join you on the shelf of cracked pots. But the light of the gospel inside of us shines out through those cracks. It's crazy to the world. They don't get it. They don't understand Well, like, so you're telling me that the, that the God that created the universe and that mankind fell away from Him and that all of this time since then, God has been in the process of of restoring mankind and he sent one person to accomplish that ultimately and that he's going to show his glory how good God is through you and your brokenness and my answer to that person would be say absolutely absolutely and the reason he does it because it's his glory he's not going to show his glory through Mark's good efforts through how good, like I used that metaphor earlier, like how good I can clean myself up or how good you can clean yourself up, how good you can obey the rules or how good I am at obeying the rules. That's not it. His power, That the greatest thing of the whole story, cover to cover, is the fact that God uses this very people that fell to, that human, I'm talking about mankind, fell to God. Satan's craftiness, and fell into sin in the garden and were forever marred and changed, God uses those same people to defeat the same enemy, not by coercion, but by offering himself and letting them come to a decision point. Am I going to trust Jesus or not? That's the craziest thing ever. That's the craziest story ever. But it's true. The reality is this: it's true. So Paul can say, "Hey, the powers of God, not of us. We're hard pressed on every side. Yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed." always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, always identifying with the cross, is what he's saying. We always identify with the cross. Always. That the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, my words, verse 10, also may be manifested in our body. See, if we're not willing to identify with the cross more than a necklace or earrings... Which is great. I'm I'm not opposed to symbols of the cross. I think it's awesome. I say, hey, the more message we can get out, the better. It's fine with me. But if we don't identify with the cross, how then would we ever identify with his resurrection, with the new life? We have to understand that 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 on that cross, we talked about this several weeks ago. On that cross, on that cross, Jesus broke penalty for sin he broke our penalty for sin that's why we identify with the cross so everything that Paul experienced for his, is for the benefit of others growth and God's glory that's kind of a summary of verse 15 where it says for all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart even though our inward man is perishing yet in the inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though the outward man is perishing. Uh, who can relate with the outward man perishing? Right? Life changes. Uh, I was at a graduation party yesterday with for one of my football guys and it's like You know, you you go and you look at all these pictures, and I think, man, I was that kid just like it seemed like yesterday, you know, with, you know, kind of a wannabe mullet, shaved sides, a little long in the back, all that kind of stuff that the 80s had to offer, and I was that kid just, it seemed like just yesterday, just yesterday, you know. Now I'm pushing the 50 button, you know, like the cart's just creeping. All you guys that are older than me are like, really, give me a break, kid. You're just a kid. I can see the look on your faces. You're like, this isn't even right. Don't even go there. I'm going there because <laughs> I'm just cresting that hill, and like for there, I'm curious if will there be any breaks on the cart, or will it be this massive free fall clear to the finish line. Right? The outward man is perishing. We're not, there's a hundred percent. There's a hundred percent guarantee uh, that nobody. In this building, we'll get off this planet alive, physically. In Christ, there's that same guarantee, spiritually, right? Like, we're all going to die. That's the minute, <coughs> great friend of mine, older guy, uh, Bob Carlson says, hey, the minute we're born, you start dying. That's what he says. That's his philosophy on what we're talking about here. The outward man is perishing. The minute that you're born, you're going to continue to grow. But, you're, but, but physically, we're in a cycle of life and then eventually death. The outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, the spiritual sons and daughters of God, is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, uh, Paul is known for his play on words. And so verse 17 is one of the funniest lines in the Bible in the context that it's written, in the context of the light of the gospel. So he says, for our light affliction, for our light affliction. He's not talking about sunlight affliction. He's talking about weight of affliction. For our weight of affliction is light. And it's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. His light affliction is going to be a heavyweight reward in glory. And those same things are true for you and I. Whatever you're going through, whatever light affliction, right? Whatever, and, 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 and you, we just read his testimony. We wouldn't say that being persecuted or, or being crushed or hemmed in on all sides, we wouldn't say that that's light affliction, right? We wouldn't say that the martyrs that have gone before us in the faith, that they're going through light affliction or, or the people in Asia. Uh, or there are brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea that they're under light affliction, Uh, or the ones in the Middle East that uh, in the last quite a few years sacrificed their lives by losing their heads. We wouldn't call that light affliction. Paul says, you know, in regard to the glory of God that's coming our way, that's light. We don't see it that way. We have to change our perspective, people. Those things are nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing compared to the glory of God, he says. Nothing at all. The fifth point about the gospel light is that it enables us to see the unseen. Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, all those things going on around us, you know what, you guys have really chided me. There's several of you that have really chided me the last few weeks, in a good way. It's a joking thing, so we can all laugh at this. But when I said several weeks ago that if you want some peace, just turn your TV off, click, and everybody started laughing. And then, like, for the following week, everybody said, uh, they come up to me and they'll say something like this. Hey, Mark, you know, you know that when you turn your TV off, it doesn't click anymore, right? I'm like, yeah, I know that. It, it was kind of like I wanted to say the word Because when I was a kid, when you turn the TV off, it went click. So what's wrong with saying click? When I turn the TV off, do I say click? Oh, you're throwing me under the bus. (laughs) No, the thing is, is that here's the point. Here's the point. It enables us to see the unseen. Are we looking for the unseen? My point is, are we looking for the unseen as a higher priority than that that we see going on around us? Are we looking for... The eternal things that are going on, and it's hard to do that uh, when we're staring at a flat screen full of the world's ills. I shouldn't. I should say that we shouldn't be uninformed. There's plenty of ways to be informed. When we get a glimpse of what God is doing through the gospel, what do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say when? Uh, uh, do we get a glimpse of what God is doing through the Gospel? Here's some ideas. Uh, do we get a glimpse of g- the fact that God's changing lives? Do we get that glimpse? Do we see those eternal things going on around us, that He's transforming m- lives, uh, transforming minds? Do we get that glimpse that He's building character, that he's mending relationships? Do we have that glimpse of those eternal things that are happening? That he's restoring homes, families, marriages. That God is rebuilding trust. Do we have that glimpse into the eternal? That he's creating opportunities to share. The fact that uh, when you share, that when you share, you don't know the potential eternally that that word of encouragement can be. That... Pick somebody up and give them a ride if you're convicted to do so. That, hey, here, let me help you with that. Do we understand that those small things, Jesus says, you know, even a cup of cold water, so like, you know, this can, this can mean something eternally. Do we, do we get that glimpse of what Paul is saying? Creating opportunities to share, launching ministries that glimpse, that God is putting stuff on people's hearts to step out and to raise up and, and to uh, proclaim His goodness? Do we get a glimpse that God's rescuing the weak? That God is the defender, the defender of the, 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 the weak? The Word says that He's the, the husband of the widow and the defender of the fatherless. That if That if those people that are out there that are in that situation, God is on their side. And they're actually, by the world standards, in a horrible spot. Biblically, they're in an awesome spot. Because God is defending them. God is that husband. He is that defender of the abandoned kid. One of the fascinating things about the times in which these accounts were written... And you see it in the pages of history, not that the the, the first generation of believers were perfect, they were far from perfect. In fact, the very book we're reading here, Paul works uh, mightily as an apostle to shore them up in a lot of ways. But history changed a lot when people just said, hmm, that's what God says, that's what I'm going to do. That's the change point. That's the that's the that's the light of the match, so to speak, in the life of a believer. And so, in that day, it was the believers that just said, "All right, I uh, I get it. Hmm, let's go to the city dump and start picking up some kids. Let's go out and rescue those little dudes that are just tossed away." That was totally culturally acceptable and normal in that first century that if there's a baby born with an abnormality or if it was the, the wrong sex one way or the other, or you just didn't want to have a kid or whatever, in the dumpster they go. At the city dump they go, right? And there was not that value to life. There was not that value to marriage that, that the Bible talks about. And as these people, people begin to just grow in Christ, they're like, huh. Just like we read about last week husbands love your wives huh, well if that's what God says to do that's what I'm going to do and it totally transforms families totally transforms marriages it totally transforms uh, uh communities and society when we and as they struggle with it and as we struggle with it just simply do what the Bible says it enables, it enables us, the more we embrace it, the more we embark upon it, it enables us to see the unseen. We get a glimpse into that. And when we can see from that perspective, then we can experience the, the fullness of the light of the gospel. And sometimes as a church, we need to make adjustments as we follow God. Sometimes we have to make those adjustments. I had to do that this very week. Uh, Last week I talked about the idea that it's the gospel that should be our our biblical motivator to motivate people uh, to follow Christ. That was my message to the body here. That was what I totally believe and still believe that God was putting uh, 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 and putting on my heart, by Tuesday night, uh, through my own frustrations at a board meeting, I've, I walked away as like, I just did exactly the opposite of what I talked about on Sunday. And I'm like, man, how did I fall into this trap? How did I, how did I get there when like just like two days before, I'm over talking about this? So I'm telling you, we're all learning this together is the first thing I want to say. And my response, my response as I was mulling it over and and thinking about it, is is uh, God started to convict me of that. And it wasn't like a a, a physical sinful thing. It was a sinful attitude. It was a bad attitude. It was was a, a discouraging attitude that I had. About ministry, what you're thinking, man? You're you're one of the pastors. Why should you have a discouraging attitude about ministry? It happens. So I'm just telling you, it's it's not right. But as I come under that uh, 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 conviction of the Holy Spirit, my response was this: I got to confess this is to be wrong. I got to put it out there. I got to seek God's forgiveness, and I got to seek my brother's forgiveness. So I put out a text to the dudes, the board said, please forgive me for my bad attitude. I seek your forgiveness. Tried to get around and talk to every single one. I got all of them but one that I didn't catch on the phone. So I want to talk to you after church. And it's not, a, it's like, I don't think anybody, nobody's like, oh, yeah, totally. And so it's not like somebody's holding something against me, I don't think. But here's the reality of why I was frustrated. Because I was trying to motivate in my frustration, I was trying to motivate us to 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 man up and be bigger and do more and... and uh, lead better, and all that kind of stuff, all the good things, but I found myself motivating not by the fact that we have have a gospel that's so awesome that we simply are just called to share with people if it's one or a thousand, if it's two or 20,000, we simply just have a gospel. We have a message that we have to put out there. And that's our motivator. Rather, I slid back into the very thing Sunday that I was talking against, motivating out of guilt or pride or some of these other areas. And from that point of confession and seeking forgiveness, man, things started to click. Bang, 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 bang. It's like firing up a brand new engine. I had all kinds of thoughts and ideas and, and, and a new perspective, a fresher perspective. That if we simply just do our and share the gospel because face it people it's the only light we got that means anything it's the only light that we have that means anything if we simply just do our part it's not about method it's not about ministry platform or style or any of that and I asked Tammy I said you know uh, hypothetically if a thousand people showed up well she said you wouldn't even get a thousand people in the building I said okay She's pretty fa- good with it. She's pretty fast with the math. Hey, you're not going to get 1,000 people in the building. Okay, so hypothetically, 1,000 people show up. William, we're doing church in the parking lot. I'd be totally freaked out. But would I still have the same commission? Would I still have the same job to do? Would the worship team still have the same uh, uh, job to do as far as leading in worship? Would the people still have the same job to do? And essentially, I use that word uh, just in in regard to the fact that you show up and whether there's a 100 of us in in here or there's 10,000 of us in the parking lot stretched from the railroad tracks to the highway, it doesn't matter. We're all here doing the same thing, worshiping God and learning more about Him, offering our worship and praise, our financial worship and praise, all of that kind of stuff. It's still the same. But we need to be motivated just simply by the gospel. And methods and platforms of ministry will flux. They will change. They will come and go. The the middle of the bullseye. Regard despite all of that, the middle of the bullseye for every single one of us. It's not just me, and it's not just the elders and the deacons. This is this is for everybody. The middle of your ministry bullseye is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you do that, and you'll be doing exactly what God wants you to do. All of the rest of it is 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 going to change, it's going to, uh, you know, I, I, I've joked, I was talking with Dennis here the other day, Dennis Owen, that, you know, uh, the uh, during the Reformation, you know, uh, oh, minds are escaping me, why is that true? Uh, what's one of the Reformation guys, the top dude? That, no, not that, oh, not, oh, wait a minute, no, can I, back this up? Not the Reformation, the Great Awakening, now help me with the name, Jonathan Edwards. Edwards. All right, Jonathan Edwards, 20 some pages, handwritten, stood and read with conviction he was doing exactly what i'm talking about and it wasn't his method his method is far different than mine i have five pages i can talk forever about this type of stuff and once in a while look at mine my... it's different one's not better or worse it's just different but are we doing the same thing promoting the gospel absolutely and that's for all of us see it's not just for me it's not just for a few we're all in ministry This this book is not written just to the church leaders in Ephesus, or in uh, Corinth. It's written to the whole of the congregation, all the believers in Ephesus. And likewise, for all of us. So if we're hitting the bullseye, if we're hitting the bullseye of ministry, sharing the gospel with those that are here. Sharing the gospel if we're doing a small group. Sharing the gospel if we're, uh, you know, coming out of Walmart and somebody says uh, something snarky about whether you do or don't have a mask on. Uh, (laughs) That's all personal. And it wasn't me. Uh, If we're sharing the gospel on Tuesday or on Wednesday and Monday nights with the kids that are here, if we're accomplishing those things, if that is the light that we have and turned on, and when we're inspiring people to do the same, we're hitting the bullseye. I know that's where I have to stay. And I learned a hard lesson about that this week, but it was a good lesson. It was a good lesson for me to learn. Was I frustrated with myself? Yeah. Is it a fast road back of through forgiveness and confession and, and, uh, and apology? Yes, and it's not just a fast road back. It's a propulsion that keeps going. It's a movement that keeps going. That's what we have to embrace. That's what we have to embrace. So when we see that perspective, we experience the light of the gospel. This gospel has to be the center of the target for all that we do. Everything else comes secondary. Everything else comes secondary to that message. Worship team, Daniel, if you want to come back up, Jonathan, we'll close and worship. Just to encourage you to uh, stay with it this week, stay energized about what God is sharing, what God's doing in your life, where He's taking you. But use that energy focused in through the power of the gospel. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. I'm excited to hear what God's gonna do in your guys' lives. Let's worship.